This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg, reporting from Tallahassee. One day after the governor signed a bill putting new limits on donations to help pay for citizen amendments to the state constitution, the ACLU files suit. Floridians' right to participate directly in our democracy is protected under Florida's constitution. The legislature should be protecting Floridians' constitutional rights, not restricting them. The civil rights group says that new law violates your First Amendment rights and is the latest move by lawmakers to abolish citizen initiatives. No Casinos has launched a new ad campaign attacking that new gambling deal between the state and the Seminole tribe. Their plan? Casinos, sports betting, even slot machines on cell phones. It'll be like internet cafes all over again. Lawmakers take up the Seminole Compact during a special session next week. Embattled North Florida Congressman Matt Gates joins Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene in the friendly confines of the villages for a kickoff rally of their America First campaign. I'm a marked man in Congress. I'm a canceled man in some corners of the Internet. I might be a wanted man by the deep state, but I am a Florida man and it is good to be home. To my friend, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, we know Georgia needs you. There's a lot going on in Georgia, but you should consider Florida your second home. You would make a great Florida woman. The Florida Supreme Court pays its last respects to Joe Hatchett, the first African-American to serve on the state's highest court. A consummate gentleman, a gentleman's gentleman, and a gentle man. We never had a sad thing to say about anybody. Every human being in his eyes was an image of God. That's the way he looked at it. He told me that. I knew that just from his actions. Justice Hatchett will be laid to rest today in Dunedin. If the daily list of COVID casualties is making you feel anxious or bummed out, you're not alone. We're seeing surveys that show a significant increase. Around 40% of folks are reporting that they have increased anxiety or mild depression. And that can mean anything from lack of sleep to um, irritability, uh, forgetfulness. All those are signs and symptoms that you know perhaps your anxiety level is up or maybe you're even having mild clinical depression. This is Mental Health Awareness Month. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview is Melanie Brown-Woofter of the Florida Behavioral Health Association. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida woman who will not be facing criminal charges for paddling a six-year-old at school. Investigators say the mom who complained about the spanking and posted a video on social media asked the school to do it because her first grader threatened to call the cops on her if she spanked her. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Monday, May 10th. This is National Shrimp Day and National Clean Your Room Day. On this day in 1865, Major General Sam Jones, the Confederate commander in Florida, South Carolina, and Southern Georgia, surrendered to Union forces. In 1869, the Golden Spike was driven in Utah, completing the first U.S. transcontinental railroad. In 1940, Nazi Germany invaded the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, and France all on the same day. And four years ago today, Donald Trump divulged classified information about an ISIS plot to the Russian ambassador and the Russian foreign minister during a meeting in the Oval Office. The Department of Health reported 3,231 new cases of COVID Sunday and 33 additional fatalities. Over the past week, we had more than 27,000 new cases and 463 fatalities. Our death toll has reached 36,445. 
One day after it was signed by the governor, the ACLU of Florida filed suit challenging a bill that limits donations to political committees that try to put constitutional amendments on the state ballot. Senate Bill 1890 imposes a $3,000 limit on donations when the campaign is getting organized. And lawmakers who support the bill say they did it to keep billionaires from other states from changing the state constitution. ACLU lobbyist Kara Gross says this is the latest in a series of bills approved by the legislature that are designed to keep citizen amendments off the ballot. Floridians' right to participate directly in our democracy is protected under Florida's constitution. The legislature should be protecting Floridians' constitutional rights, not restricting them. There is no evidence-based justification for this bill, and it will greatly infringe on the public's ability to propose amendments to the constitution that will improve the lives of everyday Floridians. Florida already has one of the most burdensome citizens' initiative processes in the country. Currently, in order for a citizen initiative to appear on the ballot, 8% or roughly 760,000 petitions need to be signed, submitted, and verified within a scant two-year period. Moreover, because of tight deadlines and current statutory requirements, groups need to hire signature petitioners, get signature gatherers, and this may cost millions. It then takes millions more to garner enough votes to support and meet the 60% threshold needed for a ballot initiative process. In their filing, the ACLU claims the new law burdens and chills the rights of free speech and association that are protected under the First Amendment. And when you combine that with all the other restrictions imposed on these initiatives over the past decade, this would pretty much make it impossible for anyone to get an amendment on the ballot without running it through the legislature. And frankly, the whole idea of the initiative was to give voters a way to bypass the legislature and take an issue directly to the ballot. State lawmakers return to Tallahassee next week for a special session where it's expected they'll approve a new compact with the Seminole Tribe that will result in a massive expansion of gambling. But the folks at No Casino say that won't be legal unless voters go along. So they've come out with a new ad that will air online and on cable programs in key markets. The title is People, Not Politicians. Florida's Constitution says that any expansion of gambling must be approved by voters, not politicians, not lobbyists, you. That's the law, but gambling lobbyists want politicians to break it. Their plan? Casinos, sports betting, even slot machines on cell phones. It'll be like internet cafes all over again. The only thing missing? Your approval. Voter approval of gambling is the law. Tell your legislator, don't break it. Sponsored by No Casinos. The governor claims that deal with the Seminoles does not have to be approved by voters. The head of No Casinos, John Suwinski, says they will challenge the compact in court if the legislature doesn't let the voters have their say. North Florida Congressman Matt Gates joins North Georgia Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene for the first rally by America First. That's a group that's described by critics as the official party of white supremacy. So, you know, of course, they had to do it at the villages in central Florida, where a lot of people still consider Donald Trump to be the only real president. It gave Congressman Gates the chance to talk about politics without having to worry about pesky questions over that sex trafficking investigation by the Department of Justice or the allegation of paying for sex with a 17-year-old girl. And while he never mentioned those directly, Gates told the crowd that he is the real victim. I'm a marked man in Congress. I'm a canceled man in some corners of the internet. I might be a wanted man by the deep state, but I am a Florida man and it is good to be home. Once you got in, there are more than a thousand people outside that wanted to be here. And I don't think any of the people on the Republican side running for president in 2024 could draw a crowd this big if their name wasn't Donald Trump. 
And so today, we send a strong message to the weak establishment in both parties. America first isn't going away. We're going on tour. Here in Florida and across this great country, we love America so much, and we will not wave the flag of surrender in the face of the Democrats, the socialists, the deep state, or the establishment. America is too precious, we love her too much, and we will never stop fighting for her. This is our first stop, but there will be many more, and America's greatest president and the undisputed leader of the Republican Party, Donald J. Trump, might join us on a few. But we might join him. We have never abandoned Trump, and he has never abandoned America. He is still fighting for us. He will continue to fight for us, and we're going to have his back when he does. The way forward is not a repackaged, regurgitated version of Paul Ryan's better way. And it's certainly not the Green New Deal and the socialist way. Our way, America first, will rule the day. Isn't it obvious? It's our ideas, it's our patriotism and positive populism that fills the rallies from the prairies of Wyoming to the villages of Florida. On immigration and trade, we will stand with America's workers, not the socialist billionaires or the corporate woketopians. We will oppose the forever wars that send America's bravest patriots to faraway lands for unknowable gain. And we will stand with American families against the genderless, blue-haired, woke-topians of the Chaz. <laughs> to my friend, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, we know Georgia needs you. There's a lot going on in Georgia, but you should consider Florida your second home. You would make a great Florida woman. Gates says this is just the first of the rallies he and Green will hold for the America First campaign. Now, if you're wondering why so many people have a problem with the name, it's about history. Back in 1940, America First referred to a group that resisted American entry into World War II before Pearl Harbor. Their cause came to be associated not just with anti-war activists, but isolationism xenophobia, and virulent anti-Semitism as well. It was so bad that most U.S. politicians shied away from the phrase for generations. Then came Donald Trump, who embraced the phrase America first to describe his immigration policy. Flags in Tallahassee are flying at half-staff today to honor former Florida Supreme Court Justice Joseph Hatchett, who died April 30th at the age of 88. Hatchett was the first black justice on the Supreme Court of Florida, serving from 1975 until 1979. And Chief Justice Charles Kennedy presided over the official goodbye ceremony Friday in the rotunda of the high court. Justice Hatchett is a towering figure in our state's legal history. As a judge, he was a paragon. His life stands as a shining example of the promise of our great country, and his career stands as an inspiration to everyone who loves the law 
and who seeks justice. Justice Hatchett used his gifts to change so many lives for the better. He worked to vanquish injustice. His remarkable career was dedicated to the most fundamental principles of American law, equal justice under law and due process before impartial judges. Justice Hatchett was born in the days of segregation, when equal justice and due process were denied to many Americans simply because of the color of their skin. But he did not let the barriers of injustice stop him. He attended Florida A&M University and then earned his law degree from Howard University in 1959. That same year, he took the Florida bar exam at a time when it was administered in a hotel where he could not stay because of the shameful segregation laws then in effect. After a distinguished early career, Joe Hatchett was named to the Florida Supreme Court in 1975 by Governor Reuben Askew. He stayed here on this court for four years until President Jimmy Carter named him to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in 1979. Two years later, in 1981, he was transferred by operation of law to the newly created U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eleventh Circuit, where he ultimately ended his judicial career with a distinguished term of service as chief judge of that court. Justice Hatchett will be remembered for many things over his long and productive life. Perhaps the most widely known of his opinions as a justice of our court was one issued on July 30, 1976, in a case involving a news reporter named Lucy Morgan of the St. Petersburg Times. Lucy Morgan had been held in contempt and ordered to, to jail for printing a story containing the gist of matters under discussion before the grand jury of Pasco County. It was part of an investigation into official corruption in Dade City. Unhappy with this leak, local officials sought to make an example of the reporter when she refused to disclose the names who, of those who had provided her with the confidential information. In writing his opinion for the Florida Supreme Court, Justice Hatchett noted that the only purpose behind Lucy Morgan's arrest was, quote, to force the newspaper reporter to disclose the source of published information so that authorities could silence the source. This, Justice Hatchett wrote, was squarely a violation of First Amendment principles forbidding governmental harassment designed to disrupt a reporter's relationship with news sources. Because of this decision, Justice Hatchett, to this day, is remembered as a defender of the First Amendment and an advocate for transparency in government. On behalf of the Florida Supreme Court, I can say that we are deeply honored to have the privilege today of paying tribute to the legacy that our fellow judge, Joseph Hatchett, leaves behind. He was a good and gracious man who built a lasting legacy we can all remember with pride. Justice Hatchett left the Florida Supreme Court long before Kennedy was appointed to the bench, and they never had the chance to serve together. But senior federal judge Gerald Joflat knew him for more than 50 years, including the 20 years they spent together at the federal appeals courts in New Orleans and Atlanta. Judge Hatchett and I go back over 50 years. What struck me was his quiet confidence, his poise, and his absolute reverence for the law for the rule of law, and, and for the judicial system. In, in his eyes, trying a case in court 
is sort of a spiritual experience. That's how he revered the process, what he was going through. So I sat with him from 1979 until 1999. That's a long time. And you get to know the mettle of somebody during that length of time. Not, a, not only in conferencing over cases, not only in, in hearing arguments, but in going fishing, for example. He loved to fish. So we would go fishing, four, five, six judges, uh, two or three times a year. And so you learn all about each other that way. I'm here really on behalf of all of the judges who ever served on the old Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals when he did, going back long ways, and all, the, all my current colleagues. And they all say about Judge Hatchett one, one or two things. First, a consummate gentleman, a gentleman's gentleman, and a gentle man. His presence in a gathering immediately was noticed as a nice, quiet, genial person who had a good, good time. He never had a sad thing to say about anybody. Every human being in his eyes was an image of God. That's the way he looked at it. He told me that. I knew that just from his actions. And so we remember today a great American, a great judge, a great lawyer, and one of the few who was able to serve on the highest court of a state and also on the Court of Appeals in the federal system. What a remarkable thing that was and what a contribution he was able to make because of that. Justice Hatchett is being buried today in Dunedin. He may have shattered the color barrier, but in the 46 years since he was appointed to the Florida Supreme Court, there have only been three other black justices, and they're all gone now. Today's court is entirely white. May is recognized as Mental Health Awareness Month in America, and it's been a tough year, what with the COVID crisis and the deaths of 581,000 Americans, including more than 36,000 here in Florida. Our guest today on the Sunrise Interview is Melanie Brown-Woofter, president and CEO of the Florida Behavioral Health Association, and she says COVID has just about everyone on edge these days. Well, we celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month in May of each year, and this is our opportunity to get the word out and to encourage people to have conversations about mental health and to recognize the importance of mental well-being. Does Florida do a good job on mental health? Because I know in, the, in recent years they've been talking about beefing up mental health services in schools and, and especially in the workplace, and we never seem to hear much about progress being made on that front. Well, you're right, but um, in, in terms of um, of hearing about mental health and, and access to care, but I will say that Florida has made progress over the last several years. The legislature has um, funded um, mental health and substance use services as well as um, authorizing additional funds from the Federal Relief Act, and we're also seeing a, a, an increase in community involvement as well. And I think if you even talk to states that are at the top of the ranking in terms of mental health services, they will tell you that it's not enough. How does Florida rank as compared to the other states for mental health services? Well, it's tough to give a ranking on that. And so, uh, you know, you really have to look at population and include Medicaid and other spend. So we don't really have an actual ranking um, in terms of where we are as compared to other states. 
I can't imagine to be that high, though, considering everything that goes on here and the size of the state. Well, that's true. That's true. Access is um, is challenging, certainly in from um, the perspective of our community mental health and substance use treatment providers. Those are our longstanding community providers that are um, located around the state and have been in local communities for 40, 50, 60 years, always there with the door open to serve those who have insurance, those who are underinsured, and those with no insurance. So you're right, it is a challenge um, from that perspective to be able to continue to provide these necessary services for folks who are in need. So let's say I'm, I'm sitting here thinking about my, my uncle who might have a serious problem, and I know there's a problem, and he knows there's a problem, but, you know, we're guys. We don't deal with that sort of thing. What What is the thing a family member should do to help out in this sort of situation? The easiest thing is just to have a conversation. Just let know the, let the family member know that you're there, that you're thinking about them. Maybe a quick phone call. Maybe you drop by. You just say, how are you feeling today? You know, what's going on? Uh, maybe you offer to um, drive them to a doctor's appointment. Uh, you know, maybe you just offer to, you know, for them to stop over and, and share a soda or a, you know, take a walk in the park or, or go to the, um, to the little league game and, and watch a, a nephew or a niece or, you know, a grandchild play. How would you look back okay. over the past year and assess the impact of COVID on our mental health uh, situation? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? Uh, or, you know, is there any way to know at this point? Well, the indications are that things were, that we're suffering more with anxiety and depression the longer that the pandemic went on. We know that early on, you know, back a year ago, we saw a decline in the number of individuals presenting for services. But as time went on, mainly towards the fall, September, October, we saw more people that were calling uh, the crisis lines from our local providers. We saw more um, folks uh, in crisis situations showing up for services and um, more people just reaching out. So we know that, you know, as the pandemic has gone on and the sense of isolation, that it's really been difficult for people to manage and that the need is definitely increasing. We're seeing self-reports in terms of surveys that show a significant increase, around 40% of folks are reporting that they have increased anxiety or mild depression. And that can mean anything from lack of sleep to um, irritability, uh, forgetfulness. All those are signs and symptoms that, you know, perhaps your anxiety level is up or maybe you're even having mild clinical depression. Um, we also have seen that um, compared when we compare the first few months of 2020 to 2019, that we had suicide deaths increase in 22 of Florida's counties. So it's not across the state, but we are seeing pockets of that. Um, we're also seeing that um, non-fatal opioid overdoses increased by 40% in 2020, again, compared to 2019. The signs are there that, you know, that, that, that people are suffering. Did the number of suicides actually increase last year? Because I had heard some reports that the bump that was expected did not materialize. Well, we, you have a point there. So overall, suicides are down um, when you do that comparison. But again, there are pockets that we show an increase. And it's interesting to note that history has borne out that suicides don't tend to increase during the time of the emergency period, like during World War One or World War Two or the Great Depression. But the increase in suicide occurred the year after it had concluded. So we are concerned about what's ahead. The pandemic, we hope, is nearing an end. We're able to open back up. Uh, you know, people are able to gather again for events. But we are concerned about what's going to happen in the months ahead. We're also concerned about the long-term effects of this. 
and what is going to be the impact to future generations, um, especially with our children who've undergone this, as well as our young adults and even our older adults, too. Mental illness is very common. It's more uh, common than we realize. You know, we always say one in five adults suffer with mental illness, and that can be anywhere from mild anxiety to severe schizophrenia. But to put that into comparison, mental illness is as common as brown eyes and silver cars on the highway. So I want. (laughs) So I'd like to say that uh, you know we're here for you. That help is available, and that you're not alone. If you or someone you know needs help coping with depression or mental illness, call Florida's 211 network. Simply dial 211 on your phone. You'll have access to free confidential services connecting you with local community-based organizations across the state that can help. Your calendar of events today, well, flags are flying at half-staff at the state capitol, the Leon County Courthouse, and Tallahassee City Hall to honor Justice Hatchett. The Tampa Bay Regional Planning Council meets at 10 in Pinellas Park. Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas and State Senator Keith Perry of Gainesville hold a news conference at 2 in Ocala. It's part of the First Responders Mental Health Awareness Day. And today is the deadline for candidates and political committees to file their reports showing financial activity through the end of April. And finally today, prosecutors say a Florida woman who spanked a first grader with a paddle will not be facing criminal charges because she did not commit a crime. Melissa Carter is the principal of Central Elementary School in Clewiston, and she was pilloried on social media when the child's mother posted an edited video of the paddling. The girl was being punished for damaging a school computer, and a staffer called mom in advance to notify her about the six-year-old's behavior. Now, Fabiola Rivera told the staffer her daughter had also been damaging things at home, but she was afraid to spank her because her daughter had threatened to call the cops or the Department of Children and Families. Rivera then asked the school to spank the child for her and was told they could only do that if she came to the school, requested a spanking, and would be present the entire time. The principal says mom agreed. Mom also secretly recorded the whole thing. The state attorney's office says edited portions of the full video appear to have been cut and released to the media at different times, resulting in an incomplete and misleading account of the incident to the public. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. 